myself quickly got leveled, and I realized, oh wait, you're, you're actually not that great. Okay. And a lot of that happened in this one specific course my freshman year. It's called the Introduction to the New Testament. That sounds pretty great, right? It sounds like a pretty encouraging class, right? All right, the problem is, at the school that I was attending, the guy who taught this course was named Bart Ehrman. All right, has anyone heard of Bart Ehrman? All right, he's, he's pretty infamous um, in, in New Testament circles, all right? So this guy's not a Christian, but he's kind of one of the most famous um, scholars of the New Testament, all right? This is one of the guys that, that writes all the books that everybody reads, and this guy's pretty infamous for thinking that everything we believe is absolutely ridiculous, all right? So this guy has this course, and he has it for the almost express intent of bringing in nice, young, fresh Christians, freshman year, and then trying to decimate everything that they believe by berating them for a whole semester and telling them how dumb they are, all right? So this class, this is what I first stepped into my freshman year. Herman tells this tragic tale about how he was, you know, a group of Christian. He went to seminary and he was a Baptist youth pastor. And then one day he realized, according to them, that, oh, the Bible had all these mistakes in it, he says. And so he realized that it couldn't be true. And so he fell away and it made his lifelong goal to discredit everything that the New Testament teaches. So he wrote this course and he got pretty famous doing this. And he thinks, basically, course is saying that all of this New Testament Christianity stuff that we believe is this fabricating mythology that the church kind of developed over time that never actually really happened and that no one back there actually believed. All right? So he, he spends all this time and all this effort trying to convince us, trying to convince me that I'm an idiot. All right? He, he's written his books. His books are titled, one's titled Misquoting Jesus, which is about how, you know, nothing in the Bible is stuff that Jesus actually said. He, he wrote one called Jesus Interrupted, which says, yeah, he exists, he said some stuff, but all the apostles came back afterwards and made up all this stuff and attributed it to Jesus. Um, one is called Forged, uh, which is all about how they didn't actually write the books that they claimed to write. Um, and then one, this is the best title, is called The Orthodox Corruption of Scripture. All right, and this whole book is about how, you know, all these guys are trying to make this power play. They, they changed the road to the New Testament and set themselves so that they could get in power and be all important. But anyways, this is this class. He's this famous professor, and I eagerly signed up, right? I was a smart young Christian. I was going to go take this new course and fight the evil barter and, and convince him of his faith. And I wasn't the only one that had this idea. Basically, only Christians take this course, right? So you've got about a four or five hundred person class, and at least three-fourths or more are, are all Christians. They all come into this class, and it's, it's probably the, the most famous class at school. So, on the very first day, Herman masterfully put all of us on our heels and instantly took control of the class and asserted his authority. This is what he said the first day. He, this guy's kind of got an award, but everybody knows about him, so he, he walks around with his big stuff, and he walks in, and kind of a, a hush falls over the room, and everybody gets quiet. And the first thing he says is, he says, all right, raise your hands. How many of you would call yourselves a Christian? All right, I put my hands up, I look around. Basically, everyone in the class has their hands up. So we're all there to do the same thing. We're going to, you know, we're going to challenge, we're going to take on our so he says, all right, And he says, the very next question, he follows it up, he says, how many of you, honestly, tell me the truth, how many of you, honestly, have read the entire Bible cover to cover? I must, how many of you know All right. Who in high school reads Numbers and Leviticus and some of the Chronicles books? So I, I sheepishly kept my hand down, kind of had my head down, I was a little embarrassed, and I looked up, there were about 10 or 15 hands up in the entire room. Everybody was doing the exact same thing that I was doing. They had their eyes down. They were embarrassed. They knew they had been 
busted. Urban had made his point. He didn't need to say anything else. But oh, he did take advantage and said a little bit more right there. He said, all right, ha-ha, look. And he drilled it into our heads that he didn't believe any of this stuff, right? That he had read the Bible cover to cover dozens and dozens and dozens of times. He had read it constantly. And we here are claiming to be Christians. We're claiming to believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God that we can't even find the time in our 18 years of life to read the whole thing. Man, talk about conviction, right? It's, it's convicting when your pastor or, or your friend kind of brings something like this to you. But when this guy who thinks you're an idiot is calling everything you believe in question convicts you like this, it is very, very troubling. So Urban then spent the rest of the course pointing out constantly how we prove that we don't actually really believe what we say we believe by not devoting our time to reading the Word and studying Scripture and studying theology. And his point, I think, was brilliant. Alright? He, he illustrates well one of the major problems with what I think is, is in the evangelical church today. There are tons of Christians. They're everywhere. Listen, I, we come from the South and everyone in the South is a Christian. Right? You're just born and raised in the South. So everyone calls them a Christian. But the problem is we have all these Christians, but sadly, few of them actually know anything about God. Few of them actually know anything about the Bible or about theology or about church history. And I would venture to guess that that many Christian Americans know much more about movies and, and sports and music and things like that than they do about the Bible and about theology. And I, hey, I, I'm the first to confess that I sure knew a lot more about those things than I knew about the Bible. So listen, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I want you to take a bit of a mental inventory here. This is, I had a professor do this to me once also. The point of this exercise is to make you feel guilty or miserable, but you can't fix a problem without recognizing that there is a problem First, so a few questions just to think about in your own mind. Have you read the whole Bible? Second question, could you explain the general storyline of the entire book, cover to cover? Can you recite the 66 books of the Bible from memory? Do you know the Ten Commandments? Do you know them in their correct order? Do you know the, the two places where the Ten Commandments are found in Scripture? Do you know where the Sermon on the Mount is found? Can you explain some of the basics for the faith? Can you explain the, the Trinity? Hopefully after today, you can kind of explain the Trinity if you are listening. Can, can you explain the Gospel? Can you explain the Incarnation? All I'm trying to do, and all these professors are trying to do, is kind of make the point that it is all too common today for Christians to know very little about what we believe. Listen, if we're going to claim that the book, this Bible, is the inspired Word of God, and that it is, that it is the only way to know about God find a relationship with God and to, to be reconciled to Jesus Christ, then it's pretty important that we know something about what we believe, right? If, if this has the answers, if this is the thing that God works to bring eternal life, then we should know what this book is about. Uh, when I was in seminary, a few years after college, I waited tables at a little diner and went down there in Durham, North Carolina. Um, and it had this little bar, and it opened up really early, so I could go work kind of the morning shift, and then go to seminary. And people would come sit at the bar, and eat their eggs and waffles, and it provided me a lot of time to just kind of sit and talk to the people while they were eating. They got to talk a lot about you know the Bible and about God and things like that. And there was one guy particularly that I, that I struck up a relationship with, and his name was Bob, and he had been a Jehovah's Witness, pretty big time in the, in the ranks of I don't know how they work in Jehovah's Witnesses, but he had been one for about thirty years. And this guy was actually pretty impressive. I was embarrassingly, he knew more Greek than I did. He could, he could quote, quote scripture in circles around me. And, and one of the constant complaints that he had about Christians 
was that he would go talk with Christians and find that they absolutely knew nothing about the Bible that they claimed said was told them about salvation and about their God. And every time he would talk, he would come back up like, you know, Christians, you guys, you know, no, no one knows anything about what they claim to believe. And sadly, I mean, this guy is as, as off as he is, and he's eternally wrong, I think, because they don't believe in, in the deity of Jesus Christ. Um, but, but this guy really knew the word. And I think he recognized something that was pretty wrong with the church, is that we generally don't know our Bibles, and we generally don't know a whole lot about theology. So, so that's what we're going to do for, for the next little while on Sunday nights. So we're we're going to talk about theology, but specifically we're going to talk about historical theology. Like I said, I don't expect everyone to know what those things are. So tonight I'm just going to try to introduce you. I'm going to explain to you what they are. And I'm going to try to convince you that they're interesting and that they're important to your life. So, first, we start with theology in general, and then we'll move to historical theology. And we have to at least acknowledge we started. I, I recognize that theology has kind of gotten a bad rap lately. Alright, when we think of theology, we think of old white guys sitting up in ivory towers you know, they've got like a patches on their on their elbows. Um, they're got all these dusty old books around them, and they're writing these really boring books. And, you know, theology is just for these old guys, these these pastors. That is something that they have to deal with. But you know, it's theology stuff. It's, it's not relevant to us, you know, up to date modern people. It's old, outdated. You know, we don't need that stuff, right? We can just love God, and we can just experience God, and kind of all those things. So let's not worry about the theology stuff. But but this is this is a sad caricature and a terrible misunderstanding what theology actually is, and when it's done rightly, what theology actually does. Alright, so theology, what is it? Theology is simply studying who God is and His nature. That's very basically, that's what it is. When we talk about God, we're doing theology. And the word literally means God words. Alright, theos means God, and then logos, theology. Logos means words or discourse or account. So the word literally means God words or God talk. It's discourse about God. No one uses the word discourse anymore. So it's come to just mean teaching about God or, or study about God. It, it generally has been expanded to include everything that we think of when we study the Bible or when we study Christianity. That's what theology is. And doctrine is a word that is pretty much synonymous uh, with theology. And it just means teaching, doctrine does. Listen to just a few verses um, from Scripture that talk about doctrine. 1 Timothy 6, 2-4 says, Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Titus 1, 9-11 says, An elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those in the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. All right, so he's saying they must teach sound doctrine. And then in Titus 2.11, he says it again. He writes to Titus, the pastor, he says, But as for you, teach with what accords sound doctrine. Right? So Paul is constantly writing to these young pastors saying, teach sound doctrine. He's saying, teach theology. He's saying, teach right thinking about God. But for some reason, even in spite of all these biblical commands to be concerned with theology and with doctrine, most people have zero interest in it. 
And, you know, that, that's, that's something for the pastor to do, right? It doesn't really have anything to do with me and, and my everyday life. You know, theology is just the stuff that those intellectuals at the seminaries, that's the stuff they worry about. And this couldn't be more incorrect because, if you think about it, it's actually impossible not to do theology. Right? Think about it. Everyone is always doing theology. Everyone has some sort of opinion about God. Right? And that's theology. That's what it is. When you say something about God, you say, oh, I believe God is like this. You're doing theology. Right? And theology matters. Why? Because what we think about God shapes and affects everything about us. What we think about God shapes and affects everything else that we think and we do. It affects every part of our life. So if we get what we think about God wrong, if we get theology wrong, we get everything else wrong as well. So you are a theologian. Right? I am a theologian. Every one of us are theologians. We all have opinions and thoughts and beliefs about who God is and what He is like. So you're all theologians. This applies to all of us. And what we think about God shapes everything else that we think and do. But now I still hear some of you. I still hear the complaint. Oh, but theology is so boring. Right? But it doesn't have to be. Remember, studying God is simply learning about God and how to think rightly about God. Theology is not a bunch of abstract, boring stuff. Theology is about a person. Alright? Saying theology is boring is saying, like, learning about your spouse is boring. Right? When you, when you fall in love with your spouse, what do you do? You, you spend time with them. You talk with them. You, you study with them. You want to know more about them so that you can love them more. That's what, that's what we're doing when we're doing theology. If, if you think theology is boring, you're not doing it. Right? Because theology is about knowing God and knowing God, loving God more. A pastor, Sinclair Ferguson, he says it like this. He says, theology proceeds from God, it teaches us about God, and it leads us back to God. And if that's what theology is, um, then we must do it. Because it is how we learn about God, and, and thus how we learn to, to love Him more, and, and praise Him more. And, and that's really what life is all about. So theology is absolutely critical to right living. Right, thinking about God, that's theology. Like I said, we're all theologians. Everyone has some sort of opinion about God. Tim Tebow, he has an opinion about God, right? Oprah, she has all kinds of opinions about all these different gods, all these crazy stuff she believes. Um, even atheists, like this guy Richard Dawkins, he writes all these books about how God doesn't exist. Even Richard Dawkins is an atheist because he had this is a theologian because he has beliefs about the existence or non-existence of God. Everyone is a theologian. But all these people disagree about certain key points about who God is, right? So right theology isn't just any belief about God. That's not the goal here. It's not congratulations, you have thoughts about God, you're a theologian. Good job. No, we want to have right theology. We want to have right thoughts and right belief about God. And that's what the word orthodoxy means. It means right belief or, or right opinions. So we don't want just any belief about God. We want to have the right belief about God. And our belief must, our belief about God, right, it must correspond with God's beliefs about Himself. Alright, and where do we learn about God's beliefs about Himself? We, we learn through the Bible. Alright, so, so our, our theology has to correspond with the Word. One, one pastor said it like this, thoughts about God are only right when they square with God's own thoughts about Himself. 
Theology only comes out right when we let God's revealed truth penetrate our minds. Theology begins with listening. It's an attempt to hear the Holy Spirit speaking in Scripture. Right? So that's where the content of our theology comes from. It, it comes from the Word. It must absolutely start and end with Scripture. It is our source for everything that we believe about God. I have been saying these last three Sunday mornings. Everything that we do must be rooted in and shaped by God's Word. What we know must come from what He has revealed to us about Himself through His Word. Alright, so theology depends on the Word. Alright, I don't care about if I come up with some creative things about God, or you come up with some creative things about God. That doesn't matter. It's got to come from the Word. So that's what theology is. That's where it comes from. But for what purpose? Alright, we don't just do theology for the sake of theology. We don't do theology just to know some cool stuff, or to sound smarter, or to look cool. Why knowing theology would make you look cool. I mean, it has the opposite effect generally. But the point in theology, like we said, is knowing God. Alright? The point in theology is worship. And we cannot love God if we don't know something about God. Alright? We can't just believe in this, oh, I just I believe in God. No, you have to know something about Him to believe in Him. So orthodoxy, remember, that just means right belief. That must be accompanied by two other fancy words. Orthodoxy must be accompanied by orthopathos, let me explain these, and orthopraxy. Right? These all sound fancy, but they're simple. Orthopathos just means right feeling. Right? Ortho just means correct or right. Pathos means feeling. And orthopraxy just means right practice. Alright? So the point is orthodoxy, right belief, leads to orthopathos, right feeling, which leads to right practice. So right belief leads to right feeling about God, which leads to right practice in our daily lives. Jan Packer, he says that theology exists for doxology and devotion. That is for the praise of God and the practice of holiness. That's why we do theology. So we can know God better and praise Him better, and so that our lives can be shaped to be more like Christ. That's what we're trying to do here. That's why we do theology. It's not just knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's knowledge to know more about God and to love God more. And that's why you're going to hear me talk about it and emphasize theology so much because we must think rightly about God. If, if we're not committed to studying God's Word, if we're not desirous to think about God and, and read about God and talk about God, then we've misunderstood what this whole Christianity thing is about because it's all about Him. It's about a relationship. And we should want to do everything that we can to, to know Him better. So that's theology in general. But as I said, we're going to talk about a specific branch of theology called historical theology. All right? This merges my, my two favorite subjects. It takes theology and it merges it with history. Right? Doesn't that sound fun? Right? Two <laughs> wonderful things that everybody loves merged together. Theology and church history. I promise you I'm going to do everything that I can to keep these things Interesting because this stuff is extremely interesting and extremely important. So, so what is historical theology? It is simply the study of the interpretation of Scripture and the formulation of doctrine. Remember, doctrine just means teaching or belief. It's the study of the interpretation of Scripture and the formulation of doctrine by the church of the past. Alright, it's simply the study of what the church has believed in history. Right? And how what the church has believed has developed been formulated over time. That's, that's simply what it is. We're looking at what the church has believed in the past, right, and how that belief has developed 
and change. One author writes about historical theology. He says, while it is not infallible, it must be acknowledged as God's guidance of his people in accordance with his promise to the church of all ages. Right? So God has promised. Jesus says, I will build my church. He's promised to not abandon his church. The church is his bride. So it, it would behoove us to kind of look at, at what his church in the past has believed. But I want to reemphasize something I said earlier, all right? We're, we're not Catholics, right? So tradition, history, it doesn't quite carry the same weight with us as it does them. They put the two on the same level, right? It's one of the big fights in the Reformation. They says, yes, the word is important, but tradition is also important. They're kind of right there on the same plane. Now, we say, no, 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 it's, it's Scripture. It's the word. It's the thing of importance. But then tradition under here is also kind of important as well, but, but they're not on the same level, all right? So the word and then history and tradition, all right? Not up here. They're on two different levels, all right? So we don't want to say this is infallible. The church has made plenty of mistakes in its history as they try to figure things out. Um, so not two things on the same level. The word is always first. So let me give you a few reasons why historical theology is important and valuable for us. Thank you for the assistant, Jay. Alright, so why historical theology is important? Why do we need to know this stuff? Number one, it helps us distinguish orthodoxy from heresy. Alright, remember orthodoxy just means right belief. Alright, so heresy then is anything that is in contradiction to right belief. So it is wrong belief. Orthodoxy, right belief. Heresy, wrong belief. We have 2,000 years of the church striving to maintain biblical right belief by keeping the heresy out. So we can learn a lot from that history. It'll, it'll help us keep out heresy today. Listen, everything that the church encounters today, the church has already encountered in the past. All right? there's, there's no point in us trying to reinvent the wheel and, and figure this stuff out. The church has already done it for us. So we have this great resource back here in church history and historical theology where we can look and say, oh, look, the church has already had to deal with this heresy. This is why they did it. This is where they went in Scripture. This is how they showed it wrong. And that's, that's kind of what we can do with historical theology. It helps us keep heresy out. In our related point, historical theology, number two, it provides us with sound biblical interpretations and theological formulations. Same idea. Listen, all of our work has already been done for us. All right? This isn't the year 100 AD where we just got the Bible and we just got all the stuff and we got to figure it out. No, guys have been reading this and, and writing about this and praying about this for 2,000 years. We should take advantage of their work. We don't need to try to figure it all out ourselves. We can look and see what our brothers and sisters who have come before us have said about theology and about God. These guys have already explained to us the Trinity and the divinity of Jesus and the relationship between the two natures of Christ. And all of these things, they've already figured it out for us. So we can kind of cheat. We can use their work. We can copy off their papers a little bit. There's no point in us kind of starting from scratch. All right, number three. We benefit from studying this because it presents us with stellar examples of faith and love and courage and obedience and mercy. When, when we learn about the great Christians that have gone before us and, and what they have endured and, and suffered for the sake of Christ and for our benefit, we're going to be encouraged and strengthened by our brothers and our sisters that have gone before us. Listen, we like to use the, the, per, the word persecution a lot. Like, oh, you know, I got persecuted at work today. Someone, someone called my beliefs in question. They said, they said they didn't quite believe what I thought. I'm being persecuted. Listen, guys, we've got it extremely easy. All right, the church throughout history 
through, throughout history has been actually persecuted and, and slaughtered and, and put in slavery and done all these terrible things to them. And these guys have actually gone through these things. They've actually put their lives on the line for their theology. So when we read about these guys, we can be encouraged by these guys. So, so we look back and we see what they have gone through and we're encouraged by that. And we're also encouraged that we're not in a similar situation that they're in. We live in a very good, safe time to be a Christian, right? And that's not been the case kind of throughout the past. Number four, studying historical theology, it protects us against the rampant individualism of our culture and our obsession with newness, right? Modern Christianity, it's kind of become consumer-based, right? We, we pick and choose whatever doctrine we like. You know, I kind of like this thing about God. I kind of like this thing about God. Ah, that, that's a little so, so we pick and choose. We're kind of like consumers in a grocery store, kind of constructing and creating our own Christian theology. And in studying historical theology, it reminds us that it's not an individual faith. It's a corporate faith. It's, it's a body. There's the church universal. God has always saved and worked through a people. We are not individuals. We are a community. And plus, we live under the assumption that newer is always better. And listen, when it comes to theology, that is absolutely not the case. All right, here's a hint. If, if something has popped up in the last 100 or 200 years that no one has ever believed in the rest of the 1,800 years of church history, be careful. All right, newer is not better when it comes to theology. If you're reading, all of a sudden you have this completely new thought about God. Oh, no one's ever thought of that. I'm the first one. Be cautious, all right? Listen, we're not that smart. I'm not going to come up with anything new. You're probably not going to come up with anything new. In theology, newer is not better. We have a historic faith. We have 2,000 years of tried and true history that we can look back to and check our beliefs against. Number five, historical theology encourages us to focus on the essentials of the faith, or what are sometimes called the fundamentals of the faith. There are a number of core truths, right? There's like this basic core that the church has emphasized throughout history and that are central to what we believe. Things like the Trinity and the divinity of Jesus, the inerrance of Scripture, salvation by grace through faith alone. These are kind of the, the basic foundation things upon which the gospel rests. These are the core of our faith. Fascination with, with new truth, right? With this, we have this new obsession or more emphasis and, and attachment to these other minor secondary beliefs. That has always in the past produced the churches that are not centered on the gospel, that are not unified, and that are not missional. Historical theology helps to remind us to major on the majors and to minor on the minors, to focus on the fundamentals of the faith. And in that sense, in that sense of the use of the word, I am absolutely a fundamentalist. The, the term fundamentalist in the past has generally been used to refer to people that, that affirm five key basic doctrines. It was the inspiration and narrative of Scripture, the virgin birth of Jesus, the substitutionary atonement of Christ, the historicity of the resurrection, and the truth of the miracles in the Bible. Right? It was kind of those five things that people a little bit over 100 years ago said, All right, these are the people, we're going to affirm these five things. And if those are the fundamentals, then I am absolutely a fundamentalist. All right? We all believe in those five things. I will fight wholeheartedly for each one of them. But the problem is, the term fundamentalism has, become, has come to describe something else 
these days. Right? Modern fundamentalism, as compared to historic fundamentalism, is, is marked by not being about those five core truths, but being militantly obsessed with kind of these other secondary minor doctrines. So in that sense, I'm not a fundamentalist. I am in this sense, but not in that sense. So what's happened today is, is fundamentalism isn't known about being about these core doctrines, like the gospel or the substitutionary government. They, they set themselves apart. They are known kind of by their beliefs for other things, kind of like King James only, or kind of all these other secondary things that are good and that are important, but aren't the core of our beliefs. Beliefs. So we want to focus on the core basic things. We want to study historical theology to remind us to major on the majors. Guys, we can have disagreements about secondary minor things. Okay, we can disagree on certain things here and there. It's, but it's this core basic thing that defines Christianity that we cannot disagree on. We have to get the gospel right. We have to get the nature of God right. We have to get the person, the work of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to be about. We want to be known for our obsession with the gospel. We don't want to be known by about being people that are obsessed and concerned with all these secondary minor things. All right? So let's focus on the major doctrines. Number six. Historical theology should give us hope and encourage us because um, through it we can be assured that Jesus is fulfilling his promise to build his church. This is, I think this is particularly relevant to us today as we kind of look around and what do we see? We, we see our culture starting to become less and less influenced by Christianity. And sometimes we freak out about that, right? Like, oh, we're a Christian nation, we just need to get back to our roots, right? Then everything will be okay. And all that is great, but honestly, it's, it's probably not going to happen. By, by studying historical theology and looking at the many periods of persecution and, and uncertainty and difficulty that the church has faced, we can be encouraged that God is not going to abandon His church. Right? It doesn't matter if this country becomes the most unchristian country in the world, because God is not going to abandon the church. Right, it's much more difficult times than, than we have faced now. God has always been faithful. He has always built His church. He has always strengthened His church and preserved His church. And He will continue to do so today. All right, number seven. Finally, the last one. Studying historical theology helps to unite us with our brothers and our sisters who have come before us. All right, there's one historic universal church. And we're all part of the same family. Don't you like knowing something about your own personal family history, right? You like to be able to look back and say, oh, you know, my ancestors, they came from here, and these are my great-great-grandparents, and this is kind of some of our history, right? Well, we should be the same way. We are a Christian family, and we have this big 2,000 years of Christian family history that we should know something about. We should know where we come from. We're, we're studying the, the history of our spiritual family so that we can better know ourselves, so that we can better know God, so that we can better love and serve Him. So, so what's all this going to look like? Well, each week, for the next few Sunday nights, we'll take one important doctrine, and say like, we'll take the doctrine of Scripture, and then we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about that doctrine, and then we'll look and see how that doctrine has been understood and explained throughout the history of the church. Now, there are 2,000 years of church history, so that's, that's a lot of history. We obviously can't cover everything in detail in, in a short 30-minute sermon. Um, but we're going to hit the high points. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground quickly, but it's going to really help us get an overview of what has happened in our history and get a grasp over what we have believed over the course of these 2,000 years. So, so that's the plan. 
And bear with me because it gets a little more interesting from here on out. As you get into some of these stories of church history, they're, they're fascinating. Right? And you kind of got some soap opera stuff going on in some of this church history. Some really crazy stories, some really interesting things happening. Um, so it's going to be really fun to kind of look at some and study some of that stuff. But today we just kind of had to lay the groundwork. We had to cover some of the definitions and explain why this stuff is so important. So remember, theology is just the study of God. That's it. It's thinking about God. And the purpose of theology is that we might know Him better and worship and love Him better. Theology exists because God exists. Theology exists to point us forward to God. Theology is about a person. You've got to keep that in mind. It's about God. And that's why we're doing this. The goal is always God and His glory. And sometimes theology it can be time-consuming and hard work, but it is so necessary. We can't love God if we don't know something about God. And we can't know something about God unless we read the Bible and do theology. So, so let's study it on these Sunday nights. Let's study it for His glory. Jesus tells us that He died for whom? He says, he says, I died and gave my life for His church. And He says that He will build His church. So we will benefit greatly from thinking and learning about the church throughout history and, and what it has believed. So, so I'm excited about this opportunity. I'm excited to do this for a couple weeks. Um, we're going to study some important stuff, and I think we'll really benefit from, from, this, from this study. So, so let's pray as we close. Father, thank you for this time. I thank you for Jesus Christ. I uh, thank you for giving us your word so that we can do theology, so that we can know about you, so that we can think about you. Father, I confess that I make many mistakes in my theology and my thinking about you. I am so prone to wonder, as the hymn says. I'm so prone to insert what I want to believe about you so that I can make excuses or justify my own sin, Father. But I pray that we would learn to think rightly about you based upon your word. Father, I pray that you would bless this time, that you would use this time, um, that you would encourage us, that you would give us a heart and a passion to know you better, to want to put in the, the time and the study to, to know something about you. So Father, use this time to lead us and draw us closer to you. I pray that this would be a time of worship, and that we would know more about you and love you more because of, because of what we learn here. Father, we give you all the glory. We thank you this time. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. 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 Right? You're dismissed. It is 7 o'clock. You're done. Thank you for coming. Please stay as long as you want for fellowship. Ask questions. And, um, we'll see you next week.